0: To the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, I'm Jason Lee. Amy Donaldson is out today. Today, I am joined by Christine Ishmael. She is founder of the EDI Experience. It's a nonprofit created on social media to bring education, diversity, and inclusion to people everywhere. Uh, and she's a friend of mine. So, Christine, thank you for joining me this morning.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so I, I'm going to ask you to use your outside voice, but tell me first. First of all, you got an interesting story, so I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about, about yourself. And how you came to create EDI.
1: Well, there were many things that were happening that uh, came brought about the creation of the EDI experience. Um, one was you recommending that I go see that uh, virtual reality uh, traveling while black. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was actually a really uh, beginning point for me when I went and saw that. I took my daughters. You had mentioned they were in town. It was the last night that they mm-hmm. were visiting. Do you remember that event? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. They had uh, recreated the cafeteria in Washington D.C. in the Capitol Theater. Yeah. you put on the headsets, you put on the the eye gear, and you actually went into that. Cafe. This was at
0: Ben's Chili Bowl, which yeah. uh, back during the Civil Rights Movement was one of the places on in the Green Book, if you remember right. this. This is going back, and uh, you, people would stop there, and it was kind of a a neutral zone if you were to uh, right. in 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 the nation's capital, where particularly black people can come along, sit, chat. And uh, just feel safe right? Uh, as they're on their way, generally going south.
1: Right. And in that experience, it literally took you into that cafe and you mm-hmm. heard stories, things I'd never heard before about traveling. When, you know, back in the time when people had to get across the country, there were not many safe ways to go. And we had sundown towns and we mm-hmm. had all kinds of things going on. So it was the closest I ever experienced, I think, to feeling that what another person may have gone through at that time.
0: I should mention that you're white. Yes. She's, uh, so she's a Caucasian woman. Okay, yes.
1: I am. And so as a white person experiencing what a person of color may have felt or experienced as they traveled across the country, uh, I came out of that and my, my daughters were with me and we were just, it was a very emo- emotional experience and um, had got me thinking, what else do I not know? Hmm. And so as I started exploring more of our American history and learning things that I didn't know before, it became a point where I needed to do something. I felt like I just needed to do something.
0: So it inspired you in that way?
1: It did. It did. It so was a beginning.
0: I want to go back a little bit further even. Uh, so you you grew up uh, where?
1: In California. All
0: right, in California. And you grew up in a family that is was part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes, I did. Okay. I got to say that all the time now. But uh, can you talk about that experience and kind of leading in through your your formative years uh, and becoming an adult?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was raised in California uh, around a lot of diversity, around a lot of...
0: Was this northern or southern California?
1: Northern. Okay. So we were in Sacramento and um, it was, I was raised up in the Mormon church, baptized when I was eight, raised in the church. I wasn't always active. I was a little bit of a wild teenager and...
0: You're a wild adult too. I'm a Wild I mean, adult yeah. too. Okay, that's a little. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, keep that separate yeah, from this well, podcast. But I mean, okay, but wild is, is <laughs> what I mean by that is you you are nonconformist in a lot of ways.
1: No, no, I've always I've always yeah been a little bit different in my thinking and mm-hmm. not so much conformist. So, mm-hmm. uh, being raised in the church was difficult, uh, especially when I was a teenager. All my my siblings all had friends in the church. I was the only one my age in my age group in the church. So my friends were not members. Did not you know
0: what do you think that was i mean what what kind of made you be a little different than just you know cuz most of us kind of follow in the footsteps of what our family do yeah
1: i don't know i grew up i i get along with everybody uh i make friends pretty easily and i made all different kinds of friends and i'm i think that i'm i grew up being very accepting my parents were very accepting of me um of the choices i was making back then and they were pretty good about how they handled me um when i was being a wild teenager you know eh but it i had a lot of friends and they were all different and it didn't matter i think because i had so much um access to different kinds of people it you just grew up kind of feeling like that wasn't a big deal it wasn't a big deal your color of your skin uh where you came from your background mm. you know so uh being in the church though was difficult it was difficult because, because- most of my friends did not do that. We were out doing things that maybe the Mormon Church wouldn't approve of and uh so i I basically left the church when I was a teenager and did not come back to it till my thirties okay so
0: so uh, you get to be an adult and in your thirties so uh your kids are of mixed race too yeah I, I mean that's kind of again part yeah. of your journey right and so when when you uh you get married and you have kids uh with an African American fellow. What? How does that impact you and your life at that point? How old were you?
1: Uh, when I first got married mm-hmm. or when I first got married, I was 23. Okay. I've been married twice, but my first marriage was 23 years old. I already had a three-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was black. He was from Selma, Alabama. Really? Yeah. And so uh, his views and opinions were way different than my California, you Sensibilities, know. Sensibilities. Right? Yeah. Hey, did you ever, totally did, did you ever
0: get a chance to go back to Selma with you?
1: No, I didn't. And I still want to go back because there are some family members that are still there that we want Mm -hmm. to go visit and take my daughters, you know, to go visit. So, but yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting and it was a very difficult marriage. And I think it's because I didn't understand a lot of things that he had Hmm. seen at that time. I get it now. I get it now. And that was important. And we've had conversations since that, you know, I haven't, he's still in California. We're out here in Utah, but Mm -hmm. had those conversations to say, I, I kind of understand now
0: you, you get what your struggles were. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So uh, how old is your, uh, how old do your kids?
1: So I have one that is 35 and they go down to 15. Okay. So,
0: and so for you, I mean, uh, this is, again, this is helping, helping to form the person you become, right? right? And when you realize that life was different for people of color than it was for, you know, uh, people of the majority of uh, Caucasians, how how does that lead you to try to in the raising of your children for instance.
1: Well, I feel really lucky that I came from California. My kids uh, attended schools that had kids in wheelchairs, kids that had special needs and then a lot of diversity. People were from everywhere in Sacramento. Uh Sacramento was the place where most people lived that drove to San Francisco every day to go to work. So we had just a lot of diversity. Um Raising them out there was a great thing to do, and then when we came to Utah, it was like I had remarried. I went through a divorce, and then I remarried and decided to bring the kids out there. So, ask me that question again about what you just asked me.
0: No, how does it shape who you become? Or
1: yeah, uh, well, because, raise
0: well. You raise your kids. I mean, uh, and by the way, uh, not unimportant, your second husband also black. Yes, but he was a little different because uh, he was uh, Caribbean.
1: No, he was originally well. His family's Trinidad and Barbados, mm-hmm. but he was born and raised in England. Okay. So the the differences between America's history and, right, and England's so now got history is cultural different. Difference. Yeah, and right. that kind of came into play. So when I married him, I had four children, so I was single mom. He took my four children, raised them as his own. We had two together, so we end up with six. He wants to come back to Utah. He loves Utah. He, he went is- to school in Utah. Okay. He had great experiences in Utah, but I was from California, and I was like. You know, our children are black, right? There's not a lot of diversity out there in Utah. Are you sure this is a good place? But he's
0: also a member of the church. He's also
1: a member of the church and thinking that the culture out here will be a great place to raise our kids. Mm -hmm. And it was a great place to raise our kids. My kids got into a lot of opportunities and things that maybe they wouldn't have gotten in California. But there was a lot of issues as well. And him being from England, I'm like, why did we not have these conversations about uh, racism and things like that? It was different in England. Because I've talked to his brother. He's passed. But since then, I've talked to his brother. I'm like, these weren't conversations we had in our home. How do we protect our children? How do we do these things? Because in England, the experience is so different. And they England does have, have its
0: own issues with race and ethnicity. However, not in the same way that we have no, them here.
1: And does not have our history. Right, so. right.
0: So when we come back, I want to continue this discussion. And again, leading up to the point where you you have some more epiphanies uh, uh, from your kids uh, right. kind of explaining their lives. And then going back to that inspiration to uh, to start EDI and, and what you hope to kind of uh, use that as a platform and a vehicle for. Uh, speaking today with Christine Ishmael, she is a founder of the EDI Experience, which is a nonprofit she created online to bring education, diversity, and inclusion to people uh, here uh, in her community and everywhere else uh, where you can touch folks who have uh, different backgrounds and, and what that means in building inclusion, diversity, and uh, just having people feel more a part of whatever community they live in. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Jason Lee back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, today joined by Christine Ishmael. She is the founder of the EDI Experience and uh, EDI, of course, meaning education. Well, in this case, education, diversity, and inclusion. So we um, we're talking about kind of your life, uh, and, you, and you married a second time, and moved with your husband. Who now? So you actually had drifted away from your religious upbringing, and in marrying uh, your second husband, uh, who by I, and again, uh, Christine's a friend of mine. So this guy was a saint, right? <laughs> and, and and he just had so many wonderful qualities. But he also is a person who grew up in a different environment. He grew up in uh, Britain, mm-hmm. so he had different sensibilities. And it wasn't that he was naive necessarily. It's just that his experience was so different. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that uh, readily came to him to af- to try to understand how living as uh, an African-American person in or a person of African heritage in America is different and how it may impact uh, the way his kids uh grew up and and the lives they experienced when they weren't necessarily around you guys. So how do you kind of convey that to him when, you know, that literally wasn't a conversation he would have around his dinner table growing up?
1: Yeah, there were things that happened um, when we left California and came out to Utah. It was a big decision because there is such there is still a lack of diversity out here in Utah and my kids being recognized as black in this country because
0: even yeah, though their mom's white That's and their right. dad's black, yeah. they are right. raised as
1: black children. And yeah. I understand that. But they began to have experiences. There was a time that in in high school, my son was uh, pushed into a closet by his teacher. in the. It was a cooking class. And I don't know if he was smarting off to her. I don't know what was going on. But he got pushed into a closet and she scratched his arm all down. So he was bleeding. He came home bleeding that day. And we pursued it with the school district. It was right at Christmas break. It was just this crazy thing. We took it. Pretty far, trying to to get some consequence for this teacher who felt like it was okay to attack students. She attacked two boys in that class. Not um, just your
0: son; another one too.
1: Yeah, there was another kid with him, and so uh, those those kind of things happen. And so there was never that conversation: was why did this happen? Why did she particularly choose my son? You know, there's those questions. Was the other that kid black always, too? Pardon me. Was
0: the other kid black too?
1: Uh, I'm not sure what oh, the other okay. kid was. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember, but. Uh, My son came home and he really didn't even say anything, but when we found out about it – and I was out of town at the time, but my husband went back to the school and talked to people and said, what's going on? But there was never a – is this a blatant – was she choosing him for certain reasons? I mean all those questions that kind of come up in your mind. What was the reason for this? Why did she lose it with – my kid mm-hmm. right, right. versus the other kid. The other kid didn't get, get scratched. He got put into the closet with him. <laughs> OK. But which you know. is
0: still a problem if you ask. Yeah. Me, yeah. Yes, so yeah.
1: things like that would happen. Um, and the conversations really didn't take place until after he passed. And after your husband passed, after my husband passed, okay. there were things that like my son was pulled over by the police and held for two hours. Uh, they searched his car. Uh, he stood on the side of the road while they went through his vehicle over and over and over looking for something that wasn't there. Right. Um, there's been things that have happened at school with my, with my daughters, just comments, kind of Mm -hmm. that unconscious bias kind of thing going on. But all these things came out and I had a different perspective after he had left. I had, I had left the church after he, after he passed. Um, it was a choice that I made and it changed a lot of my thinking. I almost feel like not having that in my life opened my mind to a lot of other things. And then as as history came out and things began to happen, we kept seeing things happen in the news. I started learning about a lot more about our American history, things we were never taught in school, Uh, having experiences like that, traveling while black experience, uh, watching, reading, just kind of letting myself learn so much more. People I was meeting, I was meeting different people now, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, their conversations, people I would meet and their sharing their experiences was like, wait a minute, there's some serious problems with our country. This is still going on.
0: So when your husband was alive, I mean, even though, again, he grew up different culturally. Yeah. Didn't he have any of those experiences himself? Because, I mean, before you start talking to him, you don't know that he's, uh, uh, I mean, was grew up somewhere else. Right. You, he, he still never experienced that enough to want to have those conversations around I mean I just say around the dinner table or anything like that.
1: Yeah, the conversations were well he was in England until he was about a teenager and mm-hmm. then they went back to Trinidad to help a family member that was sick. Trinidad is a different different Altogether, world. Yes. Yeah, and that was basically survival. So yeah, street fights, uh walking down with his brothers, he had two brothers, walking down he talked talked talk to the kids about experiences he had having to protect himself. He was always teaching the kids how to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. If you're if somebody grabs you, what to do. So he was always he always sat with his back to the, the wall at a restaurant. You know, he always talked when we were in a movie theater. What will we do <laughs> if we need to get out of the movie theater? That's so right. he kind of thought like that. And it also made me start thinking about that. OK, being more aware of our surroundings and quit taking for granted that things are always good. It's not always good for everybody. Because so, he knew
0: his safety could always be in danger. Absolutely. Right, and right. he was
1: always thinking ahead.
0: You know and I look I, I'm one of those guys you you know me so I I, I always say to myself if, if you don't live somebody else's experience if you don't walk in their shoes you don't necessarily understand it's like as a guy I don't understand what a woman uh, Amy and uh you know I I have to be educated in those same kind of ways because I take it for granted that uh, as a male this is how things are but if you're a female things are different if you are a white person you don't necessarily even consider what it would be like to be a person of color because it's just not a thing for you. Right. And if your circle is uh, not diverse, then you wouldn't – those things wouldn't be brought up to you. Right. And so you have to have – I mean, it, it, it helps you have a broader uh, s- scope of people. So you also mentioned that all your kids are uh, mixed race too. So when, when I, what I wanted to ask you was when did they come to you and talk about their experiences? I mean, you mentioned the one kid uh, who was shoved in a closet, which is a whole other issue. <laughs> but, uh, and and their experiences growing up in in school with classmates or people their ages, obviously, it might be different in California. But when they come uh, to a more uh, monolithic place, a more homogenous place, does that change? Does it get better or worse?
1: Well, the they started sharing as they got older. We had we had a lot of conversations when they were in high school. My son would mention things like he was always, "Hey, this is my black friend, Eric." He's like, why can't I just be Eric? You know, the the N-word was used all the time at the high schools I went. Uh, there were there were things that would happen he at the football went to all white game. high
0: schools for the most part.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: And they're still dropping the N-word. Pretty
1: much. If we were in Utah. Absolutely. Still. Still. Uh, they say oh, there in were what context? lots of I'm sorry, things said. How does that even come up? Some people feel like they're they're you very comfortable using that okay. word and throwing that around, and thought my, that my son would be okay with it, and my son was not okay with it. It affected his his experience. He now lives in London. I mean, it's such a uh, so we're, much more diverse where he lives. There. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I don't know if that was part of his decisions for, or, or he feels more comfortable there because it's he's more accepted. I don't know. But those were com- conversations that we had. Why can't I be? Just Eric, I got you. You know, so things like that would happen. Uh, football games where uh, fights would take place, and then they'd round up all these the kids of color and put them over here and make them sit with their hands behind their back at the high school game, and the the white kids would be over on another table. Did you watch this? Standing, I wasn't there, but my son came home and shares these experiences yeah. with me. So there were things that we were aware things were going on, and we talked to them, and we taught them how to be safe. My conversations have changed now. Now it's about if you're in the store, keeping your receipt with you, certain things like being followed in the store. My daughter's been followed in the store. Um, we, they've She's talked about with her friends, if we're ever pulled over, this is how things could go down. This is what we need to do to be safe. You know, things like that. The conversations have changed wow. because our world is now with, with social media and we're actually able to witness firsthand when things are happening. Um when I started the EDI experience, I wondered if I would have enough content and then Ahmad Arbery died. And yeah. then Breonna Taylor and we watched George Floyd, Floyd die died. and all the things that happened, the content blew up. There was so much to talk about and so much that needs to happen.
0: So when we come back, we're going to get more into that and, and how she's de- developed what was an idea into uh, just kind of this local phenomenon. And, what can be done, how how the EDI experience can be used to help broaden all of our perspectives and hopefully, you know, make a change in this community that can be, you know, replicated in places all around the, uh, the country. Speaking today with uh, Christina Ishmael, who is explaining to me how she she was inspired to start uh, a diversity group by what she, you know, I guess something good did come out of uh, George Floyd's death because I, I I find it really hard to find that. But you, you did, so, and I am grateful for that. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Jason Lee flying solo today, joined by Christine Ishmael. She is the founder of the EDI Experience. It's a nonprofit she created on social media to bring education, diversity, and inclusion to people everywhere. And we were kind of getting into it. You know, you were kind of inspired to start EDI through watching so much of the um, the sadness and tragedies that seem to be happening, you know, on the regular on for uh, a long time. You know, just right. every week there was some new video and, and you know, some new heartbreak to, to worry about. But rather than just kind of watch... You were inspired to do something, and I mean, as a person who didn't have to deal with that personally or yourself, but you 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 realized that your your children and your family it touched you in a way that um, made you want to do something. Did you was this part of um, something that you think was building up in you all along, or was it what like really was this just a moment in time? It just kind of hit you.
1: I think it's always been something in me. I can remember like when I was seven or eight. The first time I heard the N word and not knowing what that word meant, but knowing the feeling that came when I heard it was just a feeling of icky. It was a I knew it was a, a, something not good. I get the feeling
0: of icky, too, when I hear it. Even I, today.
1: I can understand that. Yeah. So the first time I heard it and then just just because of my choice of friends and the people that I associate with, um, I try not to judge. I try not. I try to understand people all have their different stories and experiences. And I think that's kind of always something that's been in me. Uh, When I chose to date uh, and brought my first black boyfriend home, my parents were kind and uh, and accepting. You know, it could have been so much different um, than having mixed race children. I've heard and been uh, people have used the N word about my choice around my children with me there, you know, as their mother, you're, you know, I've been called certain names and things like that. So uh, but my experience is so different. I think part everything that was happening in our country, all of the. The murders we were watching, the things that were happening, but also learning about our our country's history, mm-hmm. going back. Um, that's why I was just thinking: in '67 was uh, Loving Vers- versus oh, yeah. Virginia. Right. That was in my lifetime. Twenty one years later, I married a black man. That made it okay, so I could do that. Um, Tuskegee experiments ended in my lifetime. Seventy right, three. Right. I mean, I was alive. I was. You know, younger, but just learning about these things that had happened in my lifetime and then going back into, you know, 400 years back, you have to pay attention. And once you learn those things, it changes how you think. It changes uh, your perspective of the world and what you've been taught. You have to start questioning and you have to start studying. So that's what I did. I started reading. I started researching. I started learning so much more. And after you learn that, you can't go backwards. You can't go back to your comfort zone. You have to go forward. And I really, really uh, like John Lewis's quote that he did, and I have it hanging in my in my office. If you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, then you have a moral obligation to do something about it. And I felt that that was the way I could do it. Was actually, it started as a Facebook group. Um, It was a place where we could have safe conversations. Uh, People could ask questions without feeling stupid or ignorant, and we've gotten into some discussions that got a little rough and intense in there and, and people sharing their opinions, but hopefully that's what I've created as, as a safe place for you to come in and learn. So
0: uh, talk about that a little bit. You know, you your creation, what do you hope people get from it, and, and how? What, what, what kinds of tools do you use to kind of help move that needle?
1: Well, uh, Facebook has been a good spot to start i'm have a website that i'm ready to launch and uh the communications and being able to pour content into that facebook group and have discussions about everything and this is diversity group so all kinds of different topics come up in there and that's what i was saying was that it should be a safe place where you can come and ask those questions so i try to nurture that you can ask hard questions Mm -hmm. i get a lot of private messages i get a lot of did you see this video did you see what happened here I've learned to go back and do better on my research and study a lot of videos that come through because sometimes we don't get the whole story. That's true. That's important and it's important to teach that you go back and you research a little bit before you just post. Um, It's grown. like It's grown over time and because of things were going on, more people were coming in wanting Mm -hmm. to have conversations. I feel because I'm in the state of Utah now that there is – blatant racism but there is also people that just have not been exposed to other people and it's just I want to put those people all in a room together where we can have conversations and where it becomes more comfortable to have conversations with other people Um, I remember working for the state when I got out here and and a lot of those people had never left Utah County so their experiences were limited to what they had experienced in Utah County growing up their whole lives so it was interesting coming from California working with state workers and I was like you guys can't say that. You guys know that you can't say those kind of things. So a but lot they, of –
0: They grew up in a place where they didn't have any pushback. Yeah, they didn't know. Yeah, there yeah.
1: wasn't. And so it was just lack of exposure in, in their cases. It wasn't a hatred or anything. So I I introduced them to a lot of different things, you right. know. And, and so I think that putting – that was my purpose for the launch of this event Um There's a guy in Ogden that runs Nurture the Creative Mind, and I went and met with him, and he's done a nonprofit out there that's amazing. He's doing great things out there. He said, Christine, you don't have to have everything in place. Just start. Just start. Things will come. Your connections will come. And as I've been out here uh, over the last four years, I cannot – amazing connections. I've made connections with people that eventually lead to something else, Mm -hmm. and then it's just uh, an interesting way. So as I've done this, I decided we just got to get this launch out. So it's putting people in a room that night. We're going to have local businesses there um, that they can talk about uh, how they got started and and share their stories because a lot of people I've talked to, and I did a feature on there where I featured black-owned businesses here mm-hmm. in Utah and got to interview these people. And I heard amazing stories of resilience because they did come up with some resistance as they started their businesses or have continued to start with people being uh, opposed to the color of their skin. Um I have a friend that runs a moving company has shown up and been told to leave the property because they saw who he was. After they had scheduled the move, paid for the move, he shows up and they don't want him there. Things like that. And so these people will be in a room able to share their story and also how they overcame those things and have answers for how to do better. And we can do better in Utah. So main focus is Utah at first, but this is a nationwide group. We have people from all over. So I would like to see it grow and be able to continue those conversations. So
0: for you, I mean, it's it's creating more understanding and, and trying to reach people in a way that uh, previously they didn't really have the option to do. I mean, I guess they you always do, but it takes a lot of effort, right? And, and in this way, you're you're kind of bringing it to them rather than having it them having to go find it,
1: right? Well, and I mentioned in Messenger, people will message me, "What tell help me understand what white privilege is?" A white person asking me, "What is white privilege?" And so we can have conversations. A lot of it, they don't understand. They don't. They don't. And so if I can help that breach that bridge, uh, that's what I hope to do. And so I have to stay knowledgeable. I have to be, you know, be always learning and be open. It's teaching open mindedness that maybe we don't know the whole story. And so maybe your decisions about how you feel about other people, you don't have the whole story. Right. But you put people in room with other professionals, people who are successful business people Uh, people that are just starting out. You just open up a room and a safe place for conversation.
0: I think building bridges is very important, but I also love the idea that you are willing to try to get these people in a room to understand what they don't understand. Right. You know, because so much of what ends up happening is people don't know what they don't know. Right. And, and you, they, if they're willing to be enlightened, if they're willing to know, it takes humility, right. To say, I don't know everything. Right. And (laughs) because, that's uh humility is in pretty short supply these days in the world because there's right. folks who just will literally deny truth in in right. the face of facts right. you know so you you have to uh you know they have to be willing to accept that they don't know every darn thing yeah. which is not what I want to say uh when we come back mm-hmm. I want to continue this discussion also uh you bring up John Lewis love John Lewis uh and I I wonder you know he 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 said this is one of his quotes he he tweeted in uh, June of 18 you know we can't get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of the day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. And as Christina's want to do, never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in some good trouble—necessary <laughs> trouble, good trouble. I love that. Remember that, folks. There's always a way to get into some good trouble. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, I'm Jason Lee, along today with uh, Christine Eshmael, who founded the uh, EDI Experience: Education, Diversity, Inclusion. And you have an event coming up because this she's trying to do everything more than me in a lot of ways. I I feel like you know I'm being outdone here, uh, and not to say that you're white, but you're a white woman. I I, I now I'm, I'm I'm shirking my responsibilities to my people because uh, <laughs> you you're having to help me. But uh, talk about putting together events like the one coming up and, and what you want to see come out of that?
1: Well, so would you like me to mention yes, when the event is? Yeah. Okay, so I'm doing a launch. I've, I've been building a website, learning how to do the website and and EDI just needs to be launched. We need to, it's basically bringing people together in, in a room so that we can have conversations, we can open, people can meet each other. People can, because now we're, The pandemic stopped a lot of that stuff. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So on September 25th, down at a place called The Shop, which is at 350 East 400 South in Salt Lake City, it's a beautiful spot. We've got the third floor, main floor, and a rooftop. Uh, Bringing people in there, I'm going to have some businesses featured that are coming in as sponsors. And they'll get a chance to kind of share their stories of how they began here in Utah. And uh, we're going to have food. Uh, sauce Boss Southern Kitchen is cooking and bringing in some delicious food. And You, you
0: had me a sauce, sauce Boss. I had
1: you a Sauce Boss. <laughs> and uh, we've got a DJ upstairs. But just putting people in the room together, um, the space is beautiful. Views of downtown upstairs, yeah. uh, up at the top. So I'm excited to do it. So it's Saturday, September 25th from 7 to 10. This is a free event. Um, so come on down and meet a lot of other people. Uh, EDI. The future of EDI for me is going to be – I hope to have advocates trained down in the future so that – especially when I've I've talked to my children about things that have come up at school, an advocate that can go into a school and sit down with a teacher, uh, the students, the parents – possibly the police department if things happen in those situations and be able to advocate so that both sides are understood and maybe find out where the problem started in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, We've heard a lot of things in the schools with teachers and uh, surprising behaviors and conversations that shouldn't be happening. But, and and with critical race theory, the things that are being allowed to be taught and talked about. Critical race
0: theory, not a thing people just throwing it out there. We had, we had some folks on here telling you about it. It's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so being able to have somebody go advocate when there are situations. There was a march I participated in uh, about a year ago, and it was based on youth in Utah. Black youth in Utah came on the stage and told their stories of experiences, and it just it tugged at your heartstrings. You we were mm-hmm. like, how do these kids have to go through that? How do we teach our kids to have those conversations uh, so that people can learn that maybe the way that they're talking to them or their friends, how the how the way you pose that is not okay, and teach our kids how to advocate for themselves. But able, you know, EDI will have future experiences. We want to do a, a monthly like business meetup where other people who have had successes here in Utah can share with others how to get to where they are. Um, so there's a lot of things I want to do with it. There's a ton of stuff I want to do with it, but I have to take baby steps. Mm-hmm.
0: So, And we appreciate you being able to want to do it too. You know, and I'm obviously going to be joining her in this effort because I'm going to be one of those people trying to yap at other folks who may not know about our show. Yeah. And what we've been trying to do for the last five years is just get a civil conversation. You know, right. you, you mentioned how uh, just having conversations with people can humanize us all, right? Right. And I think... One of the things that uh, is in short supply, not you know, it's 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 out there, but we don't we don't see it as much as we would like. Because as a uh, former journalist for over two decades, the things that get on the news are the stuff that are aberration. They don't really happen as much as we think. They do happen commonly, but not in so commonly as the everyday stuff. Nobody wants to hear that people got up this morning, did their thing, went home, slept. And start all over again. You know, that's that's too normal. It's it's passé. Right. But that's what happens to the vast majority of us. And then there's this small percentage, probably less than one percent, to be honest with you, uh, that has crazy stuff happen. But if we can get in a room and I can talk with somebody who may not have had much experience with uh with people of color or have having another experience with another business person who's had some of the same issues that I might've had. We can talk these things through in a way that can be productive for everybody. Right. And it'll help the people who uh, need to be better informed and it'll help us maybe be able to convey those ideas in a way that is more palatable so that they get it uh, quicker. Right. Because I just, I I don't mind people pushing back to some degree, but I I, I want people to be willing to be, uh, to listen And understand and then willing to be able to make a change if they realize that their behavior is, you know, antithetical to what they espouse.
1: Yeah. Or even recognize that it is a behavior that could be perceived a certain way. Just sometimes awareness and somebody having a a conversation with you to say, can you understand how this would appear Mm -hmm. or or how this would sound when you say it that way? It may. That's what I'm talking about. That just. That lack of exposure, not and a lot of people will say, "Is this okay to say? Is this okay to say?" And I'm like, "I'd rather you do that." Than no, don't say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I was able to don't go touch with my, my hair if I had yes, any. Yes, everybody touches my kids' hair. <sighs> it, up in the airport, my, somebody walked up and ran her fingers through my daughter's hair, and she was like, "Oh my goodness!"
0: But I was, and if, if your daughter slugs her, then somehow she yeah, was somehow good, she's, right, the she's the, problem, the bad right, person, right? right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, I was able to go uh, talk to the school district uh, where my kids were raised. They had me come in and talk about diversity. I got to take my daughter with with me, and this was out in Utah County. The the principal was amazing. He took the teachers up by four-wheelers to the top of a mountain. They had different little spots, but at the top of that mountain, you got to look over the community these teachers did of where their students were. We have a lot of polygamists out there. We have a lot of – there was some diversity, and so they talked to different families to introduce – these teachers, to who they are teaching. It made this more personal experience. But my daughter and I got to talk about about things and conversations and, oh, there were some interesting conversations. I about, can only imagine. Yeah. Is this word okay to use? Would it be okay if I said this to my student? So it was a great way to open up that door to communication. And they came away thinking, okay, you know, this is something and that we need to be aware of and pay attention of because these are our kids. We, we love our kids. We want to teach them well, but we want to do it the right way. Right? I
0: experienced in the last year or so where a colleague uh, of mine in the newsroom at the time, you know, so I forgot some relatively famous person in the community used the word boy. And I said, you know, people often want to ask me, uh, white people often want to ask me, is it good to say these words or what's, what's the problem with this? I'm like, okay. So A- I don't ever get to be called boy. Mm-mm. That's just a word that goes away. Mm-hmm. You may say that to your other friends, but you don't say it you don't say it to a black person. Not certainly not to a black guy, a black man. Those are fighting words. Because that was used to demean us by demeaning. uh you know, slave owners initially and then, you know, throughout Jim Crow, mm-hmm. it's it's to somehow make you less than. Right. All right, so you create conflict by using that word. The same way if I uh, call a woman, uh, I mean, um uh, Honey or toots or some, some. I, I mean, nobody says that anymore. But you know, Don Draper, M- Mad Men, that kind of stuff, right? You, you, you don't get to call me what you want to put me in my place, right? Without some consequences, right? So, I, I, what I appreciate what you're saying is when people are exp- when it's explained to them why you can't do it. Okay, I'm good to explain it to you, but just remember, don't feel uh, like. We're being the ones that are, uh, you know, being overly aggressive or being too upset, too sensitive. No, you're being too insensitive. Right. You got to own that and then say to yourself, OK, well, that behavior has to change right. rather than expecting me to change my behavior because you want to be able to get away with being a jerk.
1: Right. So, and, yeah. and don't raise your voice when you're trying to explain. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can't be, don't exa- ever raise I can't your be voice. upset about
0: it. That's, don't That's be so right. emotional. I'm like, well, don't say dumb stuff. Yeah. And I won't be emotional. Yeah. And just because you're saying it calmly. Just means you're just being a passive aggressive jerk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not you know that you are somehow smarter and easier to you know keep yourself together. Because I'm gonna tell you something. All these MAGA people, they're not uh, common when they when they're talking to you. No. They're loud, proud, you know, screaming up at the top of their lungs when they go into the uh, the you know the Capitol building and storming the Capitol. They, they, there's nothing calm about what they did. It was craziness. No. And anybody who supported that, watching that. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You, right. you can't have it both ways. You can't be handled so the perpetrator and the victim at the same time. Right. That's, just, that's just how that works. Christine, well, uh, do you have any last comments you would like to make? And how do we just, find you, by the way? Huh? How do we find you? How do we find... You You can
1: find me... Okay, so my website will launch and it'll be the ediexperience.com. Um, working out the last glitches of that mm-hmm. and making sure I know what I'm doing when I when I launch that. But uh, you can reach me at the EDI experience at gmail.com. Uh, We have a Facebook Facebook? group called the EDI experience. You need to request to join. There are a couple of rules we have you abide by, Uh, but come on in there. We're, we're getting, our numbers are going up and it's good. And people are, the conversations are happening. Um, I'm really excited that uh, I'm going to start a podcast called under the EDI umbrella called conversations with friends. And that will lead to a lot of dialogue and things that uh, I can bring on to all kinds of people. I'll, I'll have you on Jason.
0: I will be there. I will be there. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, listen, I want to say thank you again. you uh, welcome. Join us for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or vorjasonl at gmail. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at Jason Lee one Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any of the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
1: Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.